gentlemen, welcome to the Art of Disruption podcast from Tabare, bringing you the world's best artists and gallerists wherever you are. Welcome everybody to the third episode of the Art of Disruption podcast brought to you by Tabare. This is your host, Will McBain, and on today's episode, we will be discussing how artificial intelligence is disrupting the art industry with a particular focus on artists from Africa. AI is really starting to disrupt what has often been an opaque market, difficult for new investors to start a collection. Uh, So this show will be all about how two teams based between Accra in Ghana, London and Germany have really helpful ideas that are backed up by big data to get you supporting African artists. Um, We're going to be talking to Timothy Cotton from Superfluid Labs, who have catalogued thousands and thousands of pieces of art from African artists uh, this year into an AI machine learning model that can now accurately predict the true price of art and give a fair market valuation for anybody looking to make um, a bid on the tabare.com platform. And we're also heading over to Ghana to hear from Joe Anka, the MD and one of the founders of Tabare, and he will be letting us know what his plans are to drive the African arts market forward um, using big data and artificial intelligence. The use of artificial intelligence in art in recent years has come in two ways predominantly. AI can now make art. In fact, an AI-generated piece called The Portrait of Edmund Bellamy sold for $432,500 at a Christie's auction in New York in 2018. Uh, The portrait featured a slightly out-of-focus man with no nose and a blob for a mouth. Uh, But someone was so enamoured by it that they forked out a small fortune, um, perhaps for the notoriety of buying a work from a computer after thousands of 18th century portraits were fed into an algorithm. Um, So works created by algorithms... Uh, imaginations have a clear market but the second and arguably more vital way in which artificial intelligence is transforming the art market is by creating transparency by cataloging huge quantities of art and a huge amount of data is fed into these machine models including things like historical auction sales of a particular piece uh, the social media reach of an artist the dimensions of artwork, materials, the dominant colour used, and so on and on and on. Um, Now, with all of this data, AI systems can do a whole heap of comparisons and generate a fair market value for a piece of art. Well, certainly that's the gist of it. But one man who can explain this far better than me is Timothy Cotton. Uh, He was born and brought up in Ghana before studying at both Cambridge and Harvard universities. He's just a bit clever, is Timothy, and he decided to start up his company called Superfluid Labs, which predominantly works with either African or Africa-focused companies to use AI to help grow markets for the overall benefit of Africa. And he's joining us now. Uh, So, Timothy... Wanted to kick things off by asking you to tell us a little bit about Superfluid Labs, what you guys do, and how you work with your customers. Excellent. So, thanks for having me today again. Uh, Superfluid Labs is a data analytics company based out of Kenya, Ghana, and Germany. 
And we are uh, one of the pioneering data analytics businesses that works very closely with fast-growing businesses and companies in Africa. And we have two business models, essentially. So on one hand, we provide data science support services to our customers, so where our customers have specific uh, business challenges where by providing analytical capabilities, building models, we can support our customers to solve those challenges. That is one uh, business line that we have. And the second one is we have actually built out a set of proprietary platforms that we also sell on a subscription basis to our customers. And these platforms allow our customers to analyze their customer data, identify their most valuable customers, and implement the right data-driven strategies that would propel their businesses to the next level. Excellent stuff. And so are you primarily a a business-to-business firm, or do you also work with academia at all? Great. So we are primarily a business-to-business firm. Um, although we we have worked with um, both private sector and non-private sector actors, we've worked with um, some uh, grant-making organization, impact investors, as well as a variety of uh, fast-growth startups in the fintech space, retail space, and yeah, with Tabari in the art space as well. Quite exciting. Yeah, it certainly is. And um, if we just go back, before speaking about Tabari, I, I wanted to know what's your background how did you get involved in the artificial intelligence sector where did you grow up and and if i can ask did you consider yourself a nerd growing up and is that essential characteristic to be involved with ai <laughs> those are those are excellent questions so i i was born and raised in ghana in west africa and i yeah grew up in ghana up until high school where um I must confess I was a nerd. (laughs) I took part in a few science and math competitions, both in Ghana nationally and also represented Ghana internationally at the Physics Olympiad. Oh, that's a super Um, super nerd. (laughs) Yeah. And after after my studies in Ghana, after high school, I was fortunate to win a scholarship to study in the US. So I, I pursued my undergraduate studies at Harvard in Massachusetts in computer science and electrical engineering. Excellent. And subsequent to that, uh, worked in consulting, but my, my, my true passion was always in technology. And I wanted to really utilize technology to um, improve livelihoods, to advance development, especially in Africa. So um, as great as my experience working in the management consulting firm was in international development, I actually went back to grad school, uh, this time in the UK, at uh, the other Cambridge. Um, and then afterwards, uh, studied, uh, now, I, there I completed an MPhil in engineering for sustainable development. Um, after which I moved to East Africa with IBM Research Lab. So this was back in 2012, where IBM opened a research lab, um, the first of its kind on the continent at the time. And the mission of the lab was very simple to take cutting edge technologies that had been developed globally and apply these technologies to solving real um, developmental challenges and also opportunities in Africa. And one of these technologies, uh, as you can imagine, was artificial intelligence, cognitive systems. And that is really where uh, I really got into data science work um, 
in Kenya. Um, fantastic. And and so as a company, I, I know you're um, you're partnered with uh, the likes of German Green Tech Capital and Amazon uh, Web Services, among many other businesses. Um, but but do you have a particular focus on African markets? We do. Yes. So so in fact, today, hundred percent of our customers are either um, African businesses or multinational businesses that are looking to serve the African markets. So we have a variety of uh, uh, customers from Nigeria to Accra to Zambia to Rwanda to to Kenya, of course. Um, and then we also have a number of uh, multinational companies. There's one UK-based uh, company that is providing solar asset finance solutions across Africa. And we recently also uh, closed an engagement with a French multinational company, Angie, that is providing energy solutions um, globally, but also in Africa. So we are we're very excited about the work that we are doing in Africa. And we believe um, there's a huge growth opportunity on the continent. And that growth opportunity can be harnessed with the right technologies and the right capabilities. And um, this is the role that we see for ourselves at Superfluid Labs. Wonderful, and that's great to hear. And you, you sound uh, you sound very optimistic that um, the market will grow despite COVID nineteen. Or do you think this pandemic has has set things back considerably? That's an excellent question. So I think it's actually a global phenomenon where there are certain industries that have undoubtedly been set back. I mean, we know about the hospitality industry, travel, etc. cetera. Um, in, in some cases, there, there will be a, a bounce back once um, the COVID-19 pandemic is over. But there's also undoubtedly a number of industries that have been pulled forward by almost a decade. Mm-hmm. So everything from um, e-learning to telemedicine to e-commerce, these industries have been accelerated in a way that uh, would have never been imagined before in five years ago, two, even two years ago, or even last year. Sure. Um, and it is because with the restrictions that have ar- arisen because of the pandemic, um, it has become essential for businesses to embrace digital technologies as a way of reaching their customers, as a way of better understanding, um, evolving consumer sentiment so that businesses can uh, more promptly react to that. And and that is a positive trend. Unfortunately, there are many businesses, as you rightly noted, that have been negatively affected. But I think overall, um, where there is a challenge or where there's a shift, there's always new opportunities that might emerge um, in the place of others that may disappear. So that's what we see so far. Excellent. That's really positive to hear. But thinking more broadly now, there's many voices in the West today who fear that artificial intelligence will destroy millions of jobs. Um, But do you think Africa, which is a continent where smartphone technology is just growing so rapidly, more than anywhere else in the world, uh, do you find that these same concerns have risen there? Or is the continent increasingly embracing artificial intelligence, both before COVID and, and of course, today? Um, I think the global concern around artificial intelligence replacing jobs is is uh, I can understand where that sentiment comes from, um, but it is actually an in- incomplete framing of, of the problem or the opportunity. So in, in most cases, there are a number of activities that as humans we perform 
repeatedly. Mm -hmm. And there are many cases where computers, or in this case, artificial intelligence models, can be trained on historical data sets to learn to perform those tasks just as well as we can as human beings, or even better than we can as human beings. And of course, in some scenarios where those technologies are replacing jobs that were previously done by people, in the short term or myopically, that might be seen as job losses. But another way to see that on the first level is that this is actually freeing up our time as human beings uh, and the human potential to actually pursue higher level activities, more creative work where the human touch is more important, where creativity, discretion, curiosity is, is vital. So that is the first level. Excellent. Now, the second level is that, especially in Africa, there are many industries from financial services to healthcare to education where for various reasons, there is a huge mismatch between the needs of the con of consumers in those verticals and the available professionals or personnel who can provide those services. And as a result here, artificial intelligence and similar technologies are providing an expansion on the capabilities that individuals have to perform those tasks. So for example, I'll give a very concrete example. Um, so while I was back in Kenya um, working with IBM, we worked on a very exciting project um, with one of the largest banks in Kenya today. But at the time, this bank was not actually the largest bank in Kenya. And the bank had a desire to expand access to financial services by empowering everyone um, with a mobile device, a smartphone, mm -hmm. um, a mobile application for savings and credit uh, products. Okay. And the bank was able to leverage artificial intelligence models to score consumers that never visited the branch, never needed to travel to open a physical uh, account, and were never seen by any agent at the bank and actually successfully grow this customer base to what is today over 37 million customers sure. in East Africa alone. And that has been hugely impactful. Wow. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a great example. So it seems like um, artificial intelligence will have lots of positive benefits for, um, for, the, for the market, for the economy, uh, for education, um, for banking. But but also for arts. Um, and, and so thinking now about the art market, um, I wanted to ask you, how have you got involved with Tabare and what exactly are you building together? That's, that's a great question. So um, full disclosure, I'm not an art expert, uh, but this is one very exciting project. So in fact, one of the more exciting projects that uh, we have worked on as a business, Superfluid Lab. So, Around uh, four months ago, we uh, connected. I connected with uh, David, who is one of the uh, co-founders of Tabari, on an exciting uh, challenge that he had. And that challenge was that he wanted to build in Tabari a marketplace that would connect and expand access to artwork, particularly from artists and for markets like Africa, but even globally, that are oftentimes underrepresented or underexposed. 
Now, one of the challenges in building out this marketplace or this platform was to provide a guidance or an indication around the value of a piece of artwork or the price for which a piece of artwork should be purchased or should be sold. And for individuals that may be looking to acquire art as an investment, mm -hmm. to provide an indication of how that investment might appreciate over time. Um, the challenge here was that due to um, a limited set of uh, data from historical records, and also due to a lot of subjective uh, decision-making around um, the value of artwork and art pieces, it is almost impossible to do this at scale in any coherent way mm -hmm. um, if you wanted to rely on individual human experts and their own subjective um, opinions or perspectives. So herein was the opportunity for us working together with the Tobari team to learn from historical artwork. So we had around 6,000 pieces that have been cataloged and those pieces are growing every day and extract the characteristics of those individual artworks. So everything from the dimension of the piece, the theme, the location, um, the country of origin of the artist, the age of the artist, how old the piece has been. And with these historical data points for each of those 6,000 catalog art pieces, we were able to build an artificial intelligence model, a machine learning model that could accurately predict what the value of a new a piece of art should be. Mm. And what this meant or what this means is that going forward, uh, Tobari is able to leverage this model to provide indicative prices with a high degree of accuracy on new artworks. And this is extremely valuable both to uh, potential buyers of uh, these pieces on the platform, but also even galleries that are looking to um, sell the pieces that they have and uh, looking to get an indication of what the fair market value for those pieces could be or, or is and what the consumer appetite or demand for those pieces are. are. So yeah, this is what the project has been about. It's, it's been four months since we've been working together. After the first month and a half, we got these um machine learning models into production and they've been deployed on the Tubari site today as we speak. So if you visit the site and you uh, observe some of the price quotation for the pieces that have been featured and predictions around the volatility of those pieces of art, that is all powered by artificial intelligence and machine learning models. Wonderful. Thank you for ex explaining that. And um, although you did say you're 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 not currently an art expert, um, but with your background in AI uh, and with your knowledge of uh, you know the global economy, do you think that the art market needs an analytics revolution? Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, an analytics re revolution is incredibly valuable in the art market on, on two levels. So on the first level is uh, creating greater price, uh, transparency, greater certainty, less subjectivity, and also providing an opportunity for 
uh, emerging artists who may, may otherwise not have the necessary exposure or they may not have a large uh, catalog of previous works to quickly uh, receive validation on their pieces and how those pieces compare with other similar pieces from um, different eras, different times based on similar attributes. But in addition, uh, we believe that uh, the work that Tubari is doing, uh, powered by artificial intelligence, can also dramatically expand the market for arts pieces and art collections. So previously, the individuals uh, who may purchase pieces of arts could either be uh, individuals who are passionate about the space or well, very knowledgeable. And the question, the big question is always, how much to pay for a piece of art, right? There may be sure. sentimental considerations for that, etc. But to the extent that um, art can now be possibly even thought of as an investment that is being made and one whose value might evolve over time and may have additional characteristics similar to other pieces of artwork that have been sold in the past, we believe that can expand the, the pool of potential uh, customers or buyers of pieces of art. And globally, that should be a good thing. In Africa in particular, that should be particularly welcome because that will hopefully also increase the incomes um, that artists who are very often talented are earning from their creativity and their talents. That's excellent. So it really sounds like it's great news uh, for the artists and, and great news for the investors. Absolutely. Excellent. Um, of course, you, I know you just explained the broader um, aspects of, of the model, but for someone with uh, very little uh, background in AI like myself, I, I wonder whether you can um, explain uh, how the superfluid model that you've built for Tabare works um, and, how, and how the data and analytics impacts your art price prediction. Excellent. So, uh, um, so in 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 somewhat simplistic terms, so what the way we went about building this model was, we received um, a catalog of around six thousand pieces of art, which had been sold previously at various auctions. So we had the value of those pieces of art. And Timothy, is, is, sorry to interrupt you. Is that African art, or was that art from art sold from all around the world? The initial gr uh, group that we looked at was just African art, or art from African artists, actually. Great. Yep. Um, so these pieces of art, we had the auction prices at which those pieces of art were sold um, at some point in the past. But in addition, we also had a lot of uh, attributes and characteristics for every single piece of art that was sold. So attributes that describe the piece of art in itself, but also describe the artist, including even um, external data sources like the social media, wow. uh, following and activity for those artists. Now, the way the model works is that the model uh, learned the characteristics of different pieces of art and to what extent each of those attributes contributed to the final price. And we had the historical prices for these pieces as the training data. And once the model had been able to learn these pieces, 
and the, the, the contribution that each of these characteristics made to the final price, the model was then tested against new pieces of art that it had not been exposed to previously and was challenged to make a prediction on what those prices would be. And this was an iterative process uh, after which the model became very highly tuned and sensitive at predicting what characteristics and what combination of attributes really contribute to the final um, price range within which a piece of art might be sold. And we were able to get the initial versions of this model to an accuracy of 90%. So, um, yeah. That's that, that's yeah. That's really impressive, especially after four months. Um, yep. So I mean, this isn't just conjuring numbers. This is something that uh, consumers can trust, and and numbers that are that are believable. Yep, absolutely. Super, super. And and so, how do you see this model developing? And and what do you think specifically needs to be done to um really refine it and and help it become um, one of the best predictors of uh, the value of art. Oh, so I think there are a number of aspects uh, that can really improve this. So on one hand, as the collection of artwork that has been um, catalogued and featured on the Tubari platform grows, we should see a natural improvement in the value, in the accuracy of the models. But in addition, as the user base or the customer base on the platform also grows and individuals votes with their choices, with the bid price that they offer, with their interest in different arts works and art pieces, that will provide a secondary data stream that should also further improve the accuracy of the models. In addition, um, today there are several other characteristics of an artist, the online presence, uh, seasonal effects, the time, um, the macroeconomic environment, and how that might have influenced the value of arts pieces in the past. And a lot of those additional uh, potential attributes today are not being incorporated into our model. So there's also a further opportunity to incorporate additional features that might contain signals that might affect um, consumer demand for us and how much people are willing to pay for that. And over time, this should be another way, this should be a third way in which we expect the models to become even more accurate. Excellent. That's really exciting. Um, And final question for you. What are you most inspired by uh, when thinking about the African art market and how do you see it developing? Wow. So I, what I'm most like, inspired by, um, again, like I mentioned at the onset, I was not uh, at all <laughs> an art expert prior to this project with Tobari, but I have really been inspired by the diversity and the breadth and the growth in, in new artists that, it, that are emerging on the African continent and also the appreciation that is growing among um, young professionals, among individuals for arts collection. So that used to be, uh, art collections used to be something that only the ultra-rich uh, would consider after they had uh, discretionary income or savings. But it is exciting that through the work that Tubari uh, is doing, there, this market opportunity is going to be opened up. And that is 
fantastic news for the individual artists who would have a global stage to feature their work, but also for consumers and individuals who will now be exposed and enchanted, hopefully, by, by art. Lovely. That's a great answer. And um, yeah, that's that's fantastic, Timothy. It's, it's really great to hear uh, what you guys are doing and how you're helping to push the African art market forward. Um, and I just wanted to wrap up by saying thank you very much uh, for joining us on this podcast today. And if anybody wants to find out more about Superfluid, they should go to www.superfluid.io. Um, yeah, Timothy, thank you. Thank you once again. It was great to speak to you today. Thanks for having me. Have a wonderful day. What an inspiring man and what a great company Superfluid is. And it just goes to show uh, how advanced um, Africa is in many respects when it comes to artificial intelligence and, and mobile phone, smartphone rollout and the um, ingenuity that's going on in the continent when it comes to technology at the moment. But heading over to Ghana now, I've got Joe Anker on the phone. And uh, Joe, I wanted to start off by asking you, um, why did you decide to start Tabare? What is Tabare? Um, and yeah, what do, you, what do you plan to do with the platform? The short answer, it's a fresh new way to buy art intelligently. We are a, an art tech startup and the team applies machine learning algorithms to determine a fair market value for a work of art. And we then we go a step further to predict the future value of that work of art within defined investment horizon. It could be a year, three years, or five years. Tubare is Latin, by the way. It means to disturb, to disrupt. And that's what we plan to do with how people buy art. Well, that sounds awesome. But what is it about data, Joe? I mean, why are you so um, passionate and why do you have such belief that data can transform the African art market? Data does tell a story and the more data you have, the more clarity you have. We wanted to start off by providing transparency, especially for a non-traditional art buyer, being both informal and approachable. The language we choose is data. Now we collect transactional data, uh, every data point that is available to us, like pricing, the medium, the size, the color, and so on. We get this data mostly from auction houses going back to when they started keeping records. We also collect non-transactional data, and this could be how popular an artist is, awards they may have won, who represents them, when and where they were born. All of these data points and many more help us to fine-tune our prediction models. That sounds great. And it's, it certainly sounds like you're leaving no stone unturned. But is it all about data? I mean, what, what do you say to those people looking to purchase uh, brilliant African art and they just want to buy from, from their hearts? What, what can you offer people in that way? We provide an e-commerce product from the buyer's perspective. We love art and our collectors, and we remember the pitfalls. We don't present art for sale until we give our clients deep insight into the artists and the general art market within that region. A key element of our work is the editorial content we consistently produce to provide that 
knowledge to that newbie buyer. The data analytical models really just empowers the buyer. They know exactly where to buy and the future value and can make assured, informed decisions. That's great, Joe. So it really sounds like this is consumer-led, um, both in terms of providing a fair market value for um, prospective investors in African art, um, but also that you're going to highlight the artists um, and really showcase the the brilliant work that's going on in the continent at the moment. And and on that point, I know that Joe, you're a you're a long term investor in African art, well over uh, twenty years now. Um, so if I could ask you, who, who do you like at the moment? Who's who's hot in the African art world? So many great artists on the African continent just don't get the exposure, and more often than not, the work is undervalued. We have seen a lot of positive interest globally in African artists, and that's leading to to more and more sales. The world is seeing them as great artists and not just great African artists. I really like Amwa Kubwafu as a, a breakout artist of 2019, such a unique style of finger painting. Difficult to buy right now with works scarce and prices is rocketing. I'm a fan of Serge Clotet, I like that he recycles waste product to make such unusual pieces of art. I think he has some great representation in getting great exposure. And I think he will continue to rise over the coming years. I like some of the old blue chip artists like uh, Bloody Glover. has been working from the 50s and continually produces great work that consistently achieves estimates at auction. He has always been hot. And you really can't go wrong. But really, there are so many great African artists right now. Yeah, there certainly are. There's so many wonderful artists from the African continent uh, producing and creating fantastic artwork at the moment. And you can uh, look at their art and read about some of the artists on the tabare.com platform. Um, so head over there now. And Joe was just talking about Serge Clotty and Ablade Glover. They will be the next two artists that we will be speaking to on the Art of Disruption podcast, both next week and the week after. So for all of you listening today, thank you very much and join us next time. <laughs>